The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead, the Leadership Connection, and I'm really Glad to have you with me today. Uh, I just got back from Mexico, uh, Monterey, Monterey, Mexico, and had a wonderful time with a fabulous company, FEMSA, uh, who uh, does Coca-Cola bottling and uh, OXO um, fast food stores, and they just had a great new acquisition in Chile uh, for Pharmacia, and um, just a fabulous group of leaders who are really looking to continue to transform. And, you know, the company's been around 125 years, and I think that speaks volumes for the leadership that they've had because you can't be around for 125 years, uh, and particularly in the, the, the last 20 years in the kind of markets that we've had if you don't have fabulous leadership. And one of the things that I took away from this company that I was so impressed with, the CEO and the leadership team, and in particular the CEO, who really his purpose is to give back to Mexico and to help make Mexico uh, a really great economic powerhouse and a great community for people to live in. And that's really why he's building his company and he continues to grow. He has a huge commitment to people and to the communities. And he's trying to extend that now to Latin America. It was just impressive listening to his speech and uh, talking with him, and during his talk, which he focused about 80% of what he had to say on, on the people, the community, and, and the mission that FEMSA has in terms of really employing people and making the communities great. It, it, was, it was quite heartwarming. Uh, I say that to lead into my uh, next guest, actually, who um, I just want to say who interviewed uh, Laszlo Bach, uh, who is the uh, chief, the head of people operations for Google. I just have to say a little aside about Laszlo before we continue forward. He and I worked together at GE. We were peers in the same business. He was the um, comp guy, and I was the organization development staffing person. And we both got offers. He got an offer to the Google, and I got an offer for HP. I went to HP. He went to Google. Uh, I think he got the better end of the deal, to tell you the truth. 
um, obviously from how the companies are doing. But anyway, I ran into Mark uh, Crowley and just had a, a great conversation with him. He was recently a keynote speaker, which I just want to explore with you a little bit. Got a standing ovation. He has writes frequently for Fast Company, the Huffington Post, um, and has his own book out called Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. And, you know, it sounds like, uh, you know, lead from the heart that's real fluffy and all of that. Well, you know, as it turns out, it's not so fluffy. And the future of leadership is going to absolutely require a focus of having respect and feeling and understanding for people in the workplace. And that's why I love Mark. He's a keynote speaker, author, and, you know, he comes from a place, he was in finance for 25 years. And if there ever is, an, is a hard-boiled profession in certain ways, uh, finance is it. So enough about that. Um, let me introduce Mark. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show today, Mark. And I'm thrilled to be here, Linda. Just, just, just great. Tell me about your keynote. So the last you and I were talking, you were giving a keynote. I think it's for PhDs in psychology, right? Yes, um, this was the graduation ceremony for the, the, it was about 250 current students and graduates and actually some people uh, who had come back who had graduated. This is Brandman University, which is uh, part of the Chapman University family. And these are organizational psychology PhDs and it was absolutely stunning to me because uh, as you sort of alluded to, you know, when, I, when my book came out, I think people heard the title, Lead from the Heart, and thought, oh, this is somebody who's had a spiritual transformation, or he's a theologian, or he most certainly doesn't understand business. And, of course, none of those are true. Quite the but, contrary, right? No, Quite the contrary. Exactly. And there's a lot of research in your book, actually. Well, you know, I had never intended to write the research until somebody told me one day that, uh, you know, you're going to have to explain why these practices work because they're so unusual and so uncommon. And I thought, oh, that was sort of an obvious thing to think of, but I hadn't thought of it. So I ended up spending an additional 14 months going in search of evidence to validate what I already knew to be true, to be honest with you, because my own direct experience of managing people for 25 years at every level of, of a, one of the largest financial institutions in, in the country validated that what I was doing was, you know, clearly a greater model of leadership that drove far greater loyalty, far greater engagement, far greater, you know, people were willing to scale mountains for me. So we did, you know, sort of the, the poke in the balloon is that when you care about your people and you truly support them uh, in a very authentic way, you can raise the bar in terms of your expectations. So oh, we question. actually achieved much higher levels of performance than any of my peers, even though I was, you know, really validating them and helping them grow in their careers and helping them feel a sense of mastery and and uh, even safety to the extent that I could give them a sense that they're working for someone who really cares about them as a, as a human being. Well, you know, it's so interesting because it's, in a way it's counterintuitive. You know, leaders often think that, oh, you know, they've got to be the center of everything, but really they have to be on the sidelines and working for their people. And uh, I just wanted to add one, one of the things that we discovered, you know, myself and uh, my colleagues did uh, research around global leadership and what it takes to lead globally, which actually I think is what it takes to lead anywhere. But one of the five dimensions is absolutely that these people are focused on their talent. They spend 
the majority of their time really helping their people be great, connecting people around the world, understanding the values of other people. And that's what made these global leaders who ran phenomenally successful companies successful. So I'm right in your corner there. Well, I, you know, I've done a lot of work with the Gallup organization and uh, have spent considerable time with both the CEO and the head of research there, Dr. Jim Harder. And, you know, one of the things that they've helped to validate is this whole idea that um, we're putting the wrong people into management roles. And so if you don't have an orientation for really caring about people, and this is global, by the way, this is not yep. just the United States and not any one right. industry specifically, but... Um, and I think that the, the word is beginning to get out, and there, you know, there is really no domestic company anymore. They're all we're all global companies, right? I mean, That's everybody's right. doing. And so we've got to find ways that you think about, you know, our old traditional way of managing people. If you're dealing with multi cultures, you're dealing with multi customs, multi different ways of of perceiving the world. You're going to have to come from, you can't just come from your mind. It just can't be this is the way we're doing it. You've got to be able to feel into people and sense what, whether your communication is being effective or not. And, and ultimately, I think the globalization of business is, is one of the reasons that, it, that you know, these ideas are going to be forced into business, whether people want them or not. So, in other words, if you've got so a bias against this, right, if you just sort of think, well, that sounds soft and that sounds weak and that's going to undermine a leader's effectiveness, competitively, you're not going to be able to hold up to companies that are already on board with this. And you're going to go head-to-head with companies that are, that are looking at it from a totally different perspective, which is that you need people that have a bias a balance between their heart and their mind, their intellectual capabilities and their emotional capabilities. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I really have to say that, uh, you know, my alma, one of my alma maters was not only HP but GE. And, uh, you know, it's so interesting because it's been around a long time. It's transformed a lot. It, it hasn't necessarily always done great, but it's always been a steady eddy. And one thing GE never has given up in its entire uh, time as a as a corporation is its commitment to uh, executive and leadership development and focusing on people and uh, you know and I think it shows there are more CEOs from who are former GE leaders than almost any other company around the world so it speaks volumes for them so tell me you know what I loved you you, you recent at, not that reason was back in April but you know your Huff Post article on. Um, uh, unhappy workforce. I, I read that. I just loved it. And, um, you know, talking about the five things that are transforming the workplace these days. Talk. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I'm actually trying to honestly remember which article that was because most of the things that I've been publishing are, have been in Fast Company. So please refresh my memory here on which one that was. A couple times they get re- Huffington Post picks them up off of the Fast Company, and uh, so it, I'm I'm certainly familiar with it. I'm just not familiar exactly which one you're referring to. So well, it's the one where you talk about the the, the work of the future and you list five books <clears throat> that are must reads. Ones uh, from. Uh, Adam Bryant and uh, Adam Grant, I guess it is. But, you know, if you can't remember it, it was a great article. Now, well, so people I, I, look I, it up. I, now I know which one you're referring to. And um, w- w- let me, let's talk a little bit about that because Adam Grant's book is, is uh, called Give and, Give and, Give and Take. Yeah. And his, his fundamental premise is, is that there are, 
there really are, are three different kinds of people in the world. Um, there are givers, which are people that will just go out of their way to do anything for you at any time. If you need something, I'm there to help you. Then there are the takers, and the takers are, like in our, in our relationship, all I care about is myself. I don't really care about what happens to you. And then there are the matchers, which is uh, you've, you've just done something for me, and then you go, well, you know, Mark, you owe me one. And so what Adam's, Adam's thesis is, is that uh, if you look at people in business, if you look at people in leadership roles and just traditionally in, 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 uh, in the definition of pure success, if you were to look at those three people, which one of them would be the big failures in our society? You want to take a guess? Oh, well, of course, the takers. Well, there, it's not, believe it or not. Um, really? Although it seems like the obvious answer, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the givers. Because they're giving and giving and giving, so the boss comes up to me, uh, let's just say I'm the giver, and says, hey, Mark, you know, um, you're behind on your projects, you're behind on your work, and everybody uh, else is keeping up, and you go, yeah, but I was helping Linda, and I was helping Tom, and the boss says, hey, you know, you've got to do your own stuff. So then, then Adam poses the question, which is, which one of the three is the most successful? Well, it probably is the takers, actually, since you're going. So which one is it? It's a trick question, and it's the givers again. It's the givers again. That's interesting. It is a trick question. Well, there's a caveat, though. And so this is the point of telling the story, which is that if you are someone who is getting your work done, if you are focused on getting whatever it is that you are assigned to do, and you build a reputation for being a giver, for being someone who supports other people, who's a collaborator, who's, you know, really coming from an abundance mindset, which says there's plenty for all of us. These people are infinitely more successful in every aspect of our society, and particularly in leadership. And this is a core belief. You know, I mean, this is a fascinating book for me to read because this gives sort of, you know, this reap what you sow that comes out of spiritual texts of every kind, you know, this, yeah. this idea that you, whatever you give is returned to you. This is what he's validated in this. And this is a very profound lesson for business because we think we need to pay people as little as possible and squeeze as much out of them as possible. And it's really just the opposite. The more generous that you are with people, obviously it's, it, you need to hold them accountable for their work. So this is still business. But it's generosity with time, it's generosity with support, it's generosity with learning and development, and just being made to feel that you're a a valued human being, part of the whole, you know? Yeah, you're significant. You know, I tell you, I love, um, uh, you know, Howard Schultz of Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he got pushed so many times to, you know, cut benefits and do all these other kind of things, and he simply refused to do it. And, uh, you know, you got to admire a guy like that. And the thing I love that he did, which was this race together, and he really had a message that he was trying to get out to people, and people really criticized him for it, but he stood up and had the courage to say, look, this is the right thing, and that's, that's what I'm going to do in my company. And I think Starbucks is still wildly successful, isn't it? Well, it's not only wildly successful, it's one of the big growth companies in the world. And, you know, I'm a huge admirer of him. By the way, in one of his books, um, and this is one of those five books that we we, we talked about in this article, he actually used the word heart 33 different times. 
Yeah. And so, you know, and one of his books actually has the word heart in it. So he's really unashamed to saying it. But it's, it's sort of a perfect conflict of you've got a CFO mentality. You've got a numbers mentality, which says, and I forget that the number was something like the immediate bottom line benefit of eliminating the uh, health care in one year was going to be a $40 million savings for Starbucks. Oh, yeah, huge. And, yeah. and so, you know, could have lifted them. Their, their company was feeling, you know, it was in the midst of the, the deep recession that we were in, and his company was feeling very vulnerable. People suddenly couldn't rationalize spending 350 for a latte, and they were saying, hey, you have to do this. And his vision was, what kind of a company am I going to be left with if I do this? That's a courageous move. That's but, exactly uh, right. you know, and then giving, giving his own employees the opportunity to go to college through Arizona State Online and that yeah. program sort of yeah. says, well, when you're done here, you can go somewhere else. But he's building the future management of his team, you know, team of his company. Yeah. The future and, you know, he's also doing we're, – we're at break, uh, but he's also doing these internships for people coming out of high school who may not have the wherewithal to go to college and looking at ways to help them learn and use the, the workplace as kind of like their – their learning laboratory. So stay with me. We're at, at break. Uh, I'm talking to Mark C. Crowley, a great author of Lead from the Heart, Transformational Leadership for the 21st Century. We're having a terrific conversation on leading companies. We're going to be talking about Google after the break. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host of I Lead, the Leadership Connection, and having a great conversation with Mark Crowley. 
an author, frequent writer in Fast Company, the Huffington Post, of keynote speaker, uh, does leadership development programs, frankly, around the world and uh, at a couple of universities. And we, he, he recently was at Google and uh, interviewing and talking with the talent people there, uh, talking uh, about what they do relative to talent, hiring people, etc. And um, he had some great insights, and that's what I'd like to explore with you um, you know, I'm not surprised because Laszlo Bach, the the uh, head of human resources or people operations, is. I, I think he's a leader with a, a a real sense of people and a a, a real sense of heart. So, so what did you find when you got there? Well, what you just said is absolutely true. Um, this is one of the most actualized organizations in the world, and I think, you know, Linda, what what happens with Google is that people are sort of mystified by that organization. They really don't know what to make of it. They see all the perks. They see all the, you know, the crazy workspaces, and they they sort of conclude that that's an outlier. We can't provide that for our people, so Google is not a comparable company. It's not a company for us to sort of emulate. And yet what they don't realize is that the same intelligence, the same horsepower that they're putting into designing, you know, automated cars is going into how they think about leading people. And really what they've done is they've humanized it. Um, They have turned Google into one of the most human companies there is. Now, this isn't to say, by the way, um, you know, I say that to people and they go, oh, you know, people are working really, really hard. Yes, that's true. But they're supporting people in ways that make them be able to focus, you know, sort of going back to something you said at the very beginning, about leveraging people's talents and allowing people to spend as much time in their day doing the things that they're best at, which is why they're so innovative, which is why they're so productive, and which is why their stock price in the first 10, 10 years since their IPO is up 1,293%. So all the metrics are there, but they're doing it in ways that very few people, I think, are really familiar. And I think Laszlo is the one who's he's the chief originator, although the people that are right below him have an unbelievable care about people. They just love people. And I think that's really the foundation of everything I'm talking about. Everything we should be thinking about when we bring people into management roles is do you sort of a binary question. Does this person I'm about to hire care about the well-being and development and growth and success of other people, or, or is it all about them? Because if we put people into management roles that are all about them, they're not going to develop people. They're not going to yeah. share. They're not, you know, all of those kinds of things. And this is kind of one of the reasons why um, not only, uh, you know, I had the honor of being the first person in the world to release the Gallup results, the shot heard around the world that yeah. only 70, 70% of the country is not engaged. And, you know, with all the focus and all the articles, I mean, you can't imagine how many articles are on engagement in this country. And yet the number hasn't budged in the two years since that number came out. And so we're doing, we keep thinking, well, we can tweak it, we can refine it, but what we really need to do is just to blow up our old values and say, what is it that would really change it? And this is one of the huge components of it that, that, um, that Google and Laszlo have figured out, is that the people that they hire into management are advocates for their people. They have to demonstrate advocacy. And in fact, they can't give a raise to anyone. They can't give a promotion to anyone. They can't write anybody up. They can't give anybody a review without the association of other managers in their, in their peer group. And the reason for this is because Laszlo believes that power corrupts 
and that it makes people do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do if they were just advocates. And so they have to partner up and say, okay, well, in the context of all people, how does this person get ranked? And in, in, in context of, so you're not, you're not picking your favorites or you're not sort of protecting someone who, who has your back. It's really much more of a, of a democracy. And it sounds like it's time-consuming, but what it does is it allows somebody with expertise to help grow somebody with less expertise and to accelerate their growth and development. This is one brilliant way of thinking, you know. It is. It, it is. really and, is, and it, totally and, different it, than it, 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 And it's so interesting because, uh, you know, one of the things that, it, that he talks about, which – I really appreciate it. And here was such a huge difference between Google and uh, HP. HP, we were under so much pressure to put people into jobs, uh, you know, interview, get it done, get it quickly, get the offer out there, get the person in, and not really thinking about the cultural fit and what kind of leader and manager were they going to be in the organization. And it's quite the opposite at Google. And I, I think, you know, I, some of that I have to honestly say is probably a bit of the uh, GE rub-off because it, it's hard to get into GE. And, uh, you, you know, you go through a number of interviews and people are really looking. Are you, as as you say about Google, are you are you the kind of person that really cares about people and are going to fit and, and grow our culture, which is people-focused, or are you going to be a toxic leader? And those are serious questions because they make a huge difference. Well, you know, particularly they make a big difference at the senior levels of organizations, yeah. right? And yes. so the, Google is an organization that repels those kinds of people. I mean, they just – and they stick out because they're – um, you know, they, they have these expressions, that's not very googly, and so, they, yeah. you know, their employees will call it out if somebody's behaving in a way that's inconsistent with the culture. So they're, you know, they've defined it so well, and they communicate it so well, and they hire for it so well. You know, and there's not a, you know, people are working at Amazon, which, you know, by many, many, many accounts is sort of a ruthless, oppressive kind of environment, and yet they're not having, you know, they, they still have 150,000 employees. So there's a place in this world for everyone. I just happen to think that a model like Google's is much more adaptable, much more sustainable, and is much more likely to drive long-term growth, employee satisfaction, employee loyalty, and ultimately, you know, from, from a number standpoint, higher profitability in the stock price. You know, stock Yeah, and, 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 and Mark, I, I got to honestly tell you, it's not what you personally think here. All the research that's been done, I mean, you, you uh, cite, you know, Jim Cousins and, and many others in some of your articles, and there has been a substantial amount of research out there that says that if you are focused on people, that the, the, the output of the business far surpasses the others. So I don't think this is, you know, this is not fluff. This is, these, they're real hard examples of why being focused on people in a way that really respects them and brings them out and helps them grow is good business. Good, you know, what, profitable Linda, business. Because, you know, old dogs have a hard time learning new tricks is what they That's say. True. And, and so, you know, I gave a presentation to a very successful insurance company and they had already, every one of their management team had already read my book. And so they knew what they were getting, 
right? So yeah. I gave my presentation, and the presentation went very, very well. And then when I got done, we did about a half an hour of Q&A. And one of the senior managers said to me, he goes, I love everything you're talking about. I get everything you're talking about, but I want to ask you this question. You know, when I'm struggling, so we're two months into the quarter, and we're way behind goal, my go-to strategy is to just manage by fear. Yeah, pound the hell out of people. (laughs) You know, yep, put people under fear, and we always get our numbers. So, you know, I kind of think it works. What do you think? And I go, yeah, it works, but it's 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 such a toxic energy, and that you know you're not going to keep people this well way, and you're not going to be able to sustain your performance by keeping people under fear. But this is what we always, you know, you have to have courage to say. If my back's against the wall and I'm not hitting my numbers, did I pick this team? Do I believe in this team? Can this team get this? You know, if not, then you have to kind of retool the team. But if you've got the right people, beating them up and managing them with fear is just a destructive it's, thing. But it's, it's common, common, common. It is and, common. And I think you hit the nail on the head, which was to say, you know, um, it is the default position of many people. Their heart is in the right place, and intellectually they understand this. But when they're pushed, when, when push comes to shove and it's them personally on the line, they will revert back to that behavior. And, and, and that is a challenge. That's a huge challenge. You know, you, you mentioned Amazon. Here's the interesting thing about Amazon is that the head of human resources there was also an ex-GE uh, guy. And um, it appears, though you and I talked about this, is something we should absolutely uh, explore and go in and and, and uh, do a little research there. It appears that they're the net opposite of a Google, as you cited. Um, but I'm wondering if that really is the whole story. It's, it's, it's hard for me to believe uh, that they really treat their people that poorly. And I'm interested, I'll be very interested to see how much of that is going to impact people buying from Amazon. Because I've seen comments to that effect. Well, you know, Walmart's got a reputation for not yeah. being, um, you know, and yet people look look to them for value and if they need a TV, they're not going to think about whether people can afford their health care or if their compensation is being exploited, you know. So I think Amazon doesn't need to really worry about that. But I, I, it's, I had an unusual experience in that the organization that I work for, a large financial institution, um, we brought over the, C, the, the former human resources head from Amazon. And if you just go by the behavior that he carried with him into our organization, you could see a massive cultural change, which was that people didn't really matter in the sense that we could pay them less particularly in the retail bank side, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, where you want to have loyalty, you want to have customers come in and go, hi, Susie, the person behind the teller line, the managers, yep. the new account people, right? And I started noticing that these people were just turning over in droves and did a, ironically, did a special project for the chairman of the, of the company and found out that we had turned over the entire size of the company, 50,000 employees in three years. That's and so huge. what that showed was a massive indifference to people. And yeah. so, but, it, you know, it's interesting because the, the idea is, is that people are interchangeable, and I just don't believe that that's true anymore. I think you're going to pay a price for that kind of thinking. Um, part of it is, after that article on Amazon, who's going to want to go to work there, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's you're going to have a hard time attracting talented people because they don't want to take the risk that it's a toxic environment. And, and, you know, in today's world, you don't have to go to companies like that. You really don't. You have a lot more choices, and the economy is getting tighter. 
uh, the job market is getting tighter. And, you know, you're seeing Walmart all of a sudden uh, changing some, some things around. And, you know, I had to laugh because there was a big article in the, I think it was the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, and it said, oh, the HR person came out and said, yes, we, you know, uh, we're, we're trying to play, pay more attention to our people and pay our managers better and do all these other kind of things. And the uh, the guy asked him, her why they're doing that. Well, you know, it's, we have, we're not retaining people the way we used to retain people. Well, surprise, surprise, you know. It's amazing. I read the same yeah. article, and I'm, you know, obviously there's a cynical side of me which says that, you know, they, they announced that they were going to raise their, their compensation to $10 an hour next yeah. year. And but they've already started to cut employee hours, so there's sort of a there there remains sort of a ruthlessness in the way that they manage. And I know they have low margins, but um, they're thinking now in this pilot, in the same article that I'm certain that you read, is yeah. sort of amazing to me because what they're doing is they're saying we're going to pay our managers more. And by the way, it's nominally more, but it's still right. more in the context of what they've historically paid there. And they're right. going to be growing them, giving more responsibility, so they have career growth. So this is, you know, I put it on, I have a Facebook page, Twitter and all that, and I, I sent it out, and I got a lot of people saying I'll believe it when I see it, but right. I also look at it as, boy, that, this is a movement in my direction. This is, you know, yeah. they're finding out that what they're doing is unsustainable, and it was right. sustainable for a long time because jobs were hard to find, but, right. you know, not when uh, Costco's paying $21 an hour and they're paying 10 you're just not going to get the same quality of people, and I think they're realizing that. Uh, that's exactly right, and we are at break. So stay with us. I'm talking to Mark Crowley. We're going to be talking about a few other uh, stellar companies out there and uh, some of the concepts in his book and what you can do to make sure that you have heart in your company. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. 
Hi, welcome back. I'm Linda Shark, your host of I Lead the Leadership Connection. And thanks for being with us today. And I'm talking with Mark C. Crowley, a great author, great believer in in how you create heart in organizations and and how that connects with sustainable growth, which I think is absolutely a fact. So Mark, you know, we were just talking about Google and Amazon and, and uh, Walmart and how Walmart is, is starting to change. But, I, I, you know, I think you're right. It's, I'm sort of cynical about that because these are cultural things mm-hmm. that really get into the DNA of a company. And as you say, you know, it sort of surprises me that Tony is at Amazon because, you know, I know him personally. And after a while, you begin to personify the company culture so if it is toxic and it really is harsh on people you kind of become that way and you may not even realize it and i'm wondering if that's what what's happening there well i think you're right and you, you you definitely get influenced right but if if the company were to want to make a change the way to do that is to start bringing in people who have different values the values you aspire to and then celebrate those so that people can see that these are the new things that get recognized and people will start to emulate them. So you can change the culture. You just need to start hiring the people that have the right instincts because if you just continue to promote from within, people are hardwired to continue to do what got them success in the past and you're never really going to dodge it. Yeah, well, because of what Marshall Goldsmith always says, what got you here won't get you there. But So here's here's the, right. here is a fundamental question that I have for you because I've experienced both of that where we were trying to hire in people who were sort of countercultural and the antibodies in the company were just so strong that they just killed those people and, and they couldn't survive. Well, what you do you do about that? Them, obviously. Well, it, it, first of all, it has to start at the senior level. Um, yeah. it, you've got to have cover, right? You've got to yeah. have cover because yes, I've been through it. I've seen that happen. People come in and, uh, you know, if, if the executive people aren't there to, you know, to make sure that people aren't taking the punches, uh, it won't take hold because people will lose heart. Those new people will lose heart. They'll just think, hey, I didn't sign up for this. You know, this is way too oppressive here. But I think part of it is to explain to people what that new culture is, what our new vision is. So people know now know that the whole company is going to be validating this. So it's not just you hire a couple new people and then people start to go, oh, this must be what they're looking for. You have to tell people directly, we are shifting this company. We are changing our values. This is who we aspire to be. This is what we're going to be doing differently. And here's why. Here's why it's important for you to make these changes in your career and your success. And then those people need to be validated and rewarded for for doing it. You need to put the people who are doing it under a spotlight so that people can see that it's not going away and you can do it, you know. Um, John Cotter, interestingly, you know, his whole thesis is you have to manage people's feelings if you're going to incorporate major change. And so I look at Amazon and I think this article may just be the stimulus for them to look and say, we've got to make some changes here because we don't want another article like this. And we also don't want people burning out like this. You know, like the one-year median tenure is really a not sustainable way of growing a company, right? Even no. if you, a lot of those people are, are new bringing down, the, bringing down that number, but still it's sort of crazy. So if they want to do it, um, I think they could do it pretty quickly. And here's one of the reasons why. Because, and pardon me for saying it this way, but they're moving, if they do it, they would be moving from the dark to the light. 
And I yeah. think that yeah. me, what that means is that people don't want to work in a ruthless environment like that where they're tattling on their peers and, you know, backstabbing and feeling that they need to undermine their, their friends in order to get ahead. I don't think people really want to work in a world like that. But, no, you know, I, I, I think that's been proven, too, actually. So, so go ahead. Well, I just, you know, people get fearful. I've been here for five years. I don't want to give up this job. You know, I, I, this is comfortable for me, even though there's downside. You know, people sort of talk themselves into why they can't go and look for another job, and then that allows them to sort of put up with this. But um, I think if you could create an environment that was just half as bad as what they described in that Times article, Amazon could be, a, 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 you know, they could really be sort of a model for, other organizations to change because I think a lot of people looked at that article and said we're not as bad as Amazon but we're 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 not as we're not that far off. I think a lot yeah. of companies are much more like them than they admit. I think so too, and that's what you know. I'm I, I want to talk a little bit about more about organizational culture, but I think you and I should go there and do a little case study on Amazon. Maybe they'd let that. us do that. Wouldn't that be fun? I would love that. It would. Yeah, I would love it. It would be fun. It would be fun. But, you know, as, as I look at this and I say, uh, you know, an organization, uh, a guy that I co-author with, I'm, I'm doing a, a little talk at uh, a conference that he's having in, in uh, Chicago on culture, Rob Cook of, of Human Synergistics. Um, he has surveyed over 100,000 people around the world, uh, more than that, actually, using his organization culture inventory, which looks at you know, is your culture aggressive, which is toxic, or is it passive, which, you know, is highly bureaucratic, or is it really constructive? And the constructive culture is really all about the people, people having stretched goals, really working uh, towards a common direction, you know, collaborating, all, all the things that we're talking about. And, you know, as it turns out, just about every culture in the world, country culture in the world, people want the same things from work. They don't want to work in a toxic environment. They don't want to have to tattle on their folks. They don't they 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 want to be respected and and treated fairly and you know that says a lot but we don't do it it does but you know but uh, for something some whatever happens when we put people into business they lose sight of that they come out of their head and they don't access the heart the heart would tell them hey this is not treating other people very well and this is not going to work well for you long term there's going to be consequences for this there, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction and if yeah. you treat people badly you can expect that there's something that's going to come back it's called karma and yeah. i believe in it you know, and um, and so conversely, the same is true. If you value people and support them, you know, Robert Caldini at Arizona State has made the case very clear that we are hardwired to reciprocate. And when you do something for someone, like I'm going to send you to training because I believe in you and I want you to learn, or I'm going to let you go early because I know you have a kid's baseball game, whatever it is that you're doing that people can say, he or she, my boss, chose to do this for me because they value me, there is an instinctive reaction to say, I want to do something for them. And that means mm -hmm. I'm going to stay late tomorrow or I'm going to 
do my work really, really well, whatever it is, people will respond. And this is the lesson that I hope leaders will take, at least from this call, is that the more you do for people, we think the more we do, they're going to take advantage. And it's just the opposite. The more they want to do for you, you know. And so, you know, one of the, one of the perfect examples of this, when I was years ago, this was 15 years ago, I was a regional manager. I had 30 different bank branches working for me in a large retail organization, you know, financial institution. And the bank itself had set a target. We had this modified P&L. No reason to explain it except to say that the goal for every branch in the company, there were like 4,000 of them, was to hit at least 10,000 a month. So every region in the country, there were 85 regions, set their goal at 10,000. That was what the company gave. And so I've been managing this way for quite some time. And I told my team, I said, you're better developed. You're more talented. You are in the right jobs. You have greater expertise. And you want to thrive. So what's the number for us? And they were like, oh, 10,100. I go, no, let's set something a little bit more ambitious. So we set a goal of 14,000, 40% higher than any other region. And our first month, we did 21,000 and blew the bank away. Wow. The point is, is that you can raise the expectation when people are in the right positions and they're fully talented. You know, in other words, they're fully competent in their jobs, and that's not just at the manager level, but and, you know, all the way down to the to the to the grassroots. If you have people that are right in the right jobs and fully capable and competent and motivated, you know, they love doing what they're doing, you can raise the bar much higher. And so, you know, the region I ran was for three. Straight years, number one in the bank, and 36 consecutive months, and it may have gone longer, but I, I got promoted, so I'll never know. But it demonstrated yeah. to me that this works. There's nothing soft about it. Yeah, I totally agree. And and what what made you go in this direction, Mark? Um, well, it's, it's a very big question, and I'll give you uh, sort of a give quick me the cliff comment. notes. The cliff notes is that I grew up in a very corrupt upbringing, a uh, psychologically abusive father. Ironically, um, I think I mentioned this to you in our call the other day, that my, my father was one of the most senior people in General Electric back in the <laughs> 60s and 70s. And, yeah. uh, but this was somebody who was, was really, really a horrible human being. And he beat down my self-esteem, beat down my, uh, my, my belief in myself, and... Uh, and it was very, very difficult to overcome that. And when I was 18, right after I graduated from high school, my father kicked me out of the house. And uh, with no financial support, no tuition, I was on my own from that go- get-go and never went back for a holiday or a birthday. And it was a very deep struggle. It was a very profound struggle to get through college. But I, he had told me I would never amount to anything and that I would never succeed. And so I was determined to get through college just to validate to myself that he was wrong. But all the time that I was doing that, I used to be thinking about, man, how much more successful could I have been if I'd been more thoughtfully directed, more supported, more cared for, more you know, given approval, having a, a safety net, someone who believed in me. And so when I started managing people unconsciously at first, I made this, 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 this pivot and I said, I wonder how much more successful I could make people if I gave them all of this kinds of things that I always wanted and believed would have made me infinitely more successful. And so I did that. And so at a very early age, I started managing people and people, my bosses and the senior bosses were like, I don't know what you do, but you're unbelievable what you get people to do. And so they just kept giving me more and more promotions. And it truly wasn't until my 40s when I realized that 
had anything to do with how I grew up. And so once I started to figure out that these things were universally true, it didn't matter um, what job family people had, what age people were, what education they had, people, human beings needed what I was giving them. They thrived when I was giving them. And this is what led to the book, is this notion that the more you do to support people, um, the better off people are going to be. You know, they don't want to feel vulnerable. They don't want to feel unsafe. They want to know that they're growing. They want to know when they leave on Friday night, does my boss value what I do? Does my boss about to fire me or does he love me? And so I took all that ambiguity out and give people encouragement and recognition is such a huge component. We take it for granted in business that people know how much they're valued and appreciated. And I just told them directly. But I learned all of that, and then over time, I began to realize, okay, I have something here, and I started to refine it. But the final component of this is that in writing the book, I had originally intended just to lay out the practices that I, that I had learned through you know, 25 years and truly refined. But it, I started to think about what was it that I was doing to people, and that's when I realized that I was affecting people in their hearts. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day that it happened because I went in and told my wife, I've just wasted 10 months of my, my life because no one's going to take a book about leading from the heart seriously. In fact, they're going to laugh at it. And so I started thinking, I wonder if they're, because I knew I was right. I mean, I passionately knew I was right, but I was feeling very defeated. And so the long and short of it is that I ended up meeting with a world-class cardiologist who then introduced me to an organization called the Institute of Heart Math, which has been studying the intelligence of the heart for the last almost 30 years. And we now know that the heart is not just a pump, that it has, it has its own source of intelligence that really truly drives our feeling, our emotions, or excuse me, our, our decisions, our thoughts. And so feelings and emotions is really what it comes down to, is giving people the right feelings and emotions that make them feel all those things that I was describing. And so I came up and- with this term emotional currency that's what we need to be paying people with emotional currency i think that's great and we are at break um mark and we're going to talk about that emotional currency stay with us and there's a question that's gotten uh emailed in from the field so i love that term emotional currency thank you From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866- 
1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the Leadership Connection. Hi, welcome back. Thanks for being with us. I'm Linda Sharkey, uh, your host, and I have with me Mark C. Crowley, and he's talking about emotional currency, which I really like that phrase that you uh, developed as looking at your heart. And I love this, you know, that the heart actually uh, has a sort of more than just a pump component. I, I did not know that, actually. Yeah, I mean, this is emerging science that um, is sort of stunning, really. And, you know, there's still people that don't believe it when you tell them. But um, from a mind standpoint, from a brain standpoint, there's another researcher, famous uh, Antonio Damasio at the Salk Institute, who's discovered that intelligence is distributed through the body, including the organs. So it's confirmed in a lot of different ways. But, uh, yeah, we, we say things like learn it by heart and follow your heart and have a change of heart, which all sort of imply that there's a cognitive capability there. It's just 300 years ago, scientists opened up the heart. All they saw was a pumping organ yeah. and said, okay, well, that's it. That's just, it, that's right. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I, that's fascinating. I love that. I, you know, I, I just think the brain is, and, and, and the body is just such a, Fascinating thing. So we have a we have an email uh, question in from the field, Mark. Um, it's from Lisa in um, Berkeley, actually, and what she wants to know is, what are your three pieces of advice for ensuring that you have heart in your company? Okay, Lisa, my son went to Cal Berkeley. Go Bears! Um, <laughs> so. The first one is the first one is really is hire for heart. I call this hire for heart, and it basically means we put people into jobs because we as employers think they can do it, but we don't discover whether or not they have the passion for the work. Will they love doing the work? And if they don't love the work, you'll never get full engagement and all the great things we want from people. So being disciplined that way. The second one is to maximize employee potential, and this means invest, invest, invest in your people and grow them, and don't just limit yourself to growing them in whatever job they are doing. So if they're an architect working for you, don't just teach them architectural drafting skills. Teach them things that will help them be a better person. Grow them in every dimension because once you improve one dimension in life, you'll automatically improve all aspects of the person. And then the final one is value and honoring achievements. Uh, we, we take it for granted that we recognize people, but I call it institutionalizing recognition. And what I mean by that is that you need to find a place and time where you consistently acknowledge people, for all people, for meeting or exceeding your expectations. So I would suggest do it on a monthly basis, bring your team together, talk about what's going on in your organization, but begin that meeting by saying, before we can go forward and me asking you to do something next, I want to talk about what you've done and acknowledge people and don't limit it to the top three. If you've got 30 people and 20 people and met or exceeded your expectations, all 20 of those people need to be given that love. Those would be my three. I think that, that that's that's absolutely great. I, I love those three, and and uh, you know I, I did remember one thing that you said uh, in your from your interviews from Google is that uh, you know they bring the families in sometimes when they're recognizing others because the families sometimes sacrifice, and you know how great to see the company um, 
really appreciating your your spouse or your sister. Where, or your where does the for, employee for, feel, where does the employee feel that, Linda? Think about that. Yeah, oh, in the heart, family. absolutely. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. And, and they and they give you they give you much more for that. So, Mark, it's been a pleasure interviewing you today. I, I hope everybody gets your book, and uh, I do think that this is going to be a factor for the workplace. Uh, one of the clear 12 tenets of, of the world of work going forward and uh, leveraging the heart in how you lead organizations. So thanks again for being with me. I really Thank appreciate it. Thank you very, it. very much. My pleasure, Linda. And we'll do this again, Mark. All right, thank you. I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be in touch. Maybe we will get into Amazon. I hope so. I would love to go with you. That would be fantastic. It, um, it would. It really would. So my upcoming shows, my next show is with uh, Bill Conady, and I'm thrilled to have Bill because I actually worked for him at, at uh, GE. He was the, the head of human resources there, and I was in the human resource group. And um, quite a spectacular individual. And I think when you listen to him and uh, talk about his book, The Talent Masters, that he wrote with Ram Sharan, you'll see that this man has a great deal of heart. And uh, honestly, I think that that is what, even with Jack, which everybody said that Jack you know, was toxic in the early days, he kind of did morph into uh, somebody who spent a good 70% of his time on his people and giving people feedback in a positive way and... and um, he was all about the people. And I think Bill Conady had a huge amount of influence on him in that regard. And so much so even today, I think uh, Bill is somebody who uh, Jack uh, and Jeff rely on a lot for thinking about how they can keep folks energized and engaged in the organization. So I'm really thrilled to have um, uh, Bill on. He's uh, on a number of boards. And we're going to be talking about how do you develop the talent for the future? What what is the secret sauce? And, and um, I, I know he, he sees the picture from all over the world. And then after that, we're going to be talking, uh, uh, my co-worker, uh, my co-author, Nazneen Razi, and myself are going to be talking about the five leadership attributes that you're going to, are must-haves in the organizations of the future. And while they were nice to have in the past, they are must-haves in today's global world. And I think Mark underscored that in our discussion today, that being people-focused, caring about people is really the ingredient that is going to make a huge difference. And whether your company is just living quarter to quarter and, and people hate coming to work every day and they're unengaged or your company is humming along where people really enjoy their work and love their work and want to just continue to make it better. So these are uh, serious and interesting questions. So we have several shows coming up. I did mention I'm going to be speaking uh, at the Human Synergistics uh, Culture Ultimate Culture Conference, and I'm bringing with me uh, York Risk Services, who actually had a CEO who had heart for the people and believed that the culture needed to be one around people, collaboration, and trust, and teamwork. And he's worked very hard to drive that, that journey. And then I'm going to be at GE, actually, in Crotonville and doing a, a program with former GE leaders there around coaching and coaching for excellence. So I'll be talking about all of that in my upcoming shows. So thanks so much for being with me. And um, I appreciate my audience so much and all the questions that are coming in. And my guests are just fabulous. So I hope you're enjoying the show, too. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week.